I think most people have the idea that Jehovah's Witnesses are friendly, kind neighbors. But what most people don't realize is that Jehovah's Witnesses are practitioners of a very strict policy where if a member walks away from the religion, they are instructed to what's called shun them, which basically means they turn their back on them. They delete them from their lives. They delete them from their social circles. They delete them from their family. If you're a mother, you lose your children. Jehovah's Witnesses do this to any member that walks away from the religion. And it could be for many reasons. For example, the member has decided that they no longer believe in the religion. They've decided that maybe the things that the religion was teaching aren't necessarily in line with the person's Christian values. Or maybe there's a teaching, a doctrine, a policy in which the religion has started to practice or has been practicing in which the member decides, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't think this is in the Bible. I don't think this is biblical. I don't think this is something that Jesus taught or is Christian. Or just in general, I don't think this is something decent. I don't think this is good for other people. I don't want to do it. And if that's ever the case of a person, the person would inevitably walk away from the religion Everyone that you know will instantly begin to shun you. They will delete you from their lives. They will delete you from Facebook. They'll delete you from their Twitter account. They delete you from life. If they're your neighbors, if one of the people in the religion is your neighbor, that neighbor will, will cease to exist to you because they turn their back on you. They stop associating with you. And what doesn't help is that there was a little fine print. There was a very small fine print that when you join the religion, you're made to feel that it's all without any obligation and that you could essentially walk away if you wanted to. Of course, you wouldn't because you're highly indoctrinated, but you're made to feel like, you're free to leave. Anybody's free to leave. And even when members do happen to leave while you're plugged into the religion and you see these people walk away, you see these people kicked out, you always think, well, that's because they want to do bad things. Or you think, well, that's because he probably did a bad thing. He deserves to be canceled out of my life. He deserves to be deleted. The shunning policy is something that's practiced by religions like the Amish, the Mennonites. It's something that's practiced in Mormonism. It's something that's even practiced in Catholicism. It's practiced in... Baptists practice a form of it. And most religions practice a form of it. But there are some religions that practice a lukewarm level of it. And there's others that practice a very strict hardcore level of it. And Jehovah's Witnesses are one of the ones that practice a very hardcore level of this. The reason they practice this, the reason that, well, this is what they'll tell you. They'll tell you, we practice this because this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. And they hold to that belief. And what they do is they develop these doctrines out of a few words that they found in the Bible. 
The words that they refer to, you can find in 1 Corinthians 5.11. And depending on what Bible you read, depending on what translation you have in your home and you read from it, will essentially depend on just how strict this policy will be. So you'll see a form of this, but I don't think you'll find one as direct. I mean, you might. You might. There's no way I could possibly read all the Bibles, but you might. But I know for a fact that the Jehovah's Witness Bible is very clear, is very frank in the way they word 1 Corinthians 5.11. But as I've said before, if you don't have the context of a situation, you could develop all sorts of doctrines. And that is why this doctrine is practiced in many religions, but in all religions, it isn't practiced at the same level. And that's because, depending on the Bible they have, depends on the level of shunning that they practice, the level of deletion of one of their ex-members, the level of shunning that they will do in the religion. So 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, Stop keeping company with anyone called a brother who is, and then it goes on to say six things, who is sexually immoral, who is greedy, who is idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner. It says, don't associate with these people. So judging by its cover, you would say, well, it says it. It says it. <laughs> the first Corinthians 5.11 says, stop keeping company with anyone called a brother who is all these six things. What you're not taking into account is the context. The context. Again, these people that take this hardcore strict interpretation of the Bible. They see words. Those words become policy. Those words become doctrine. Are greatly, are immensely misunderstanding what the Bible really is. So what is it? What is the Bible? It's words. It's words. It is, in its essence, mandates and is, in essence, principles. But in many cases, when you're reading the Bible, you're not reading law. You're not interpreting law. You're interpreting, in many cases, poems. You're interpreting, in some cases, songs. You're interpreting wisdom, a.k.a. sayings. You're interpreting history. And yes, in some cases, you're interpreting principles and law. But everything that's written in it isn't necessarily a law. Because it talks about Caesar Augustus. That's not a law. That's history. You know, if you read the Psalms and you read a song, it's not law. It's not telling you what to do, but you could gather principles from it. It's, it's teaching you principles. So 1 Corinthians 5.11, in essence, you're reading a little bit of history from first century Jewish Christians. You're reading what's happened. 1 Corinthians 5.11 the context. The context is that there was someone in that church, aka congregation, and he was getting together with a group of Christians. But this guy, <laughs> this guy, this douchebag, this guy was sleeping with his what we believe today to be his stepmom. Does the Bible say that essentially? It doesn't say it. You know, the word can be interpreted as stepmom, but it says. In essence, he was sleeping with his mother. And this is, this is what 1 Corinthians 5, 1 begins telling. This is the context. 
of 1 Corinthians 5.11. So you could see why there's a big problem there. You could see why this is not going to fly, especially by someone like the Apostle Paul, who's been traveling around with the Corinthians, with the Ephesians, Galatians, and he's going around and he's teaching them instructions that he has because he says, you know, he saw the light. Jesus appeared to this man and he said, hey, it'll stop. Stop persecuting me. Hey, what's the deal? Why do you keep persecuting me? You want a job? <laughs> would, you, would you like to go into the traveling business? So Jesus appears to him and he gives him a job, right? So he's going around and he's teaching these instructions from Jesus Christ. And one of the current congregations he comes across is the Corinthians. In the Corinthians, there's a big issue. Before he even gets there, Paul has been informed. He doesn't say exactly how, but he says that he's gotten a word that there's this guy that's very out of place here, amongst other things that are very out of place with the Corinthians. One of the things, probably the worst thing is this. Well, yeah, it's arguable, but one of the worst things, one of the worst things that he's, that he's heard from the Corinthians is that they had this situation. This, this no good guy, uh, lack of principles, and he's doing this, and he considers himself a Christian. So he's, he's doing this vile act, and word of that vile act has reached Paul. Paul is now written, writing a letter that says, hey, this is out of place. And we find ourselves now in the first letter to the Corinthians 5.11. According to the Bible, the first letter. So in the first letter... He says, you need to stop keeping company with anyone called a brother who is, and then the first thing he says is sexually immoral. You need to stop keeping company. Now, he doesn't say you need to shun him. He doesn't say you need to delete him from your life. You need to cancel him. Don't lo no longer consider him a blood brother. If you see him at the shopping center, give him your back. Do not Talk to the man. He doesn't say that. He says, you cannot keep company with a person like that. I don't think you need the Bible to know that this situation is wrong, that what this man is doing is wrong. Is that someone that you would invite to your home? Is that someone you say, hey, come on in. I forgive everything. That's not a wise thing to do. You don't need the Bible to know that this is wrong. This is incorrect. People that are atheists, and don't necessarily believe in the concept of morality, still know that this is wrong. Something calls to them. Their conscience is still triggered. There is something that moves them to know that this is wrong. You don't need the Bible to know that this is wrong. So what Paul is saying in the first of Corinthians, the chapter 5, verse 11, stop keeping company with anyone called a brother who is, number one, he says, sexually immoral, even if he hadn't said it. Even if he hadn't said that, you would know that this is wrong and this is someone we don't want to keep company with. These are the kind of people we say, you know what? Don't bring them to the party. You know, when you make a party, it, 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 you don't, it's not necessarily a biblical thing. That's my argument. It's not necessarily something that you need Jesus to know that this is wrong. This is incorrect. We do it all the time and we don't go and reference the Bible. We don't dig in the Bible to know, hey, should I invite so-and-so? Well, I don't know, you know, because 
He tends to steal from me. Every time you invite him, something very valuable in my home goes missing. We say, don't invite him. Don't invite him. And this is the natural thing. This is the, this is the smart thing to do. So that's what, what Paul is saying. He says, in this case, Corinthians, who they have their own problems, but amongst the problems they have, they have this situation where they're getting together for feast, for food, for worship, to consider the Lord's meal. And that you see also in in the letter of the Corinthians. But one of the things they're doing when they get together is they allow this guy to come in the home. And this guy is completely out of place. He says you can't keep company with that kind of person. So he's not saying shun them, but the healthy thing, the smart thing to do would be not be around a person like this. And this is what he's saying. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, eh, not so fast, not so fast. It says there, stop keeping company, which are words that are taken out of context. Okay, let's put it back in context. Who are we talking about? We're talking about a person that's completely out of line, that's calling himself a Christian. He cannot be associating inside the Christian, inside the worship, the worship instance, right? It doesn't mean that outside of it, uh, we don't associate. You might be a business partner with a person like that. A person like that might be your family member. You have to see the person again. So that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you're going to cancel him out of your life. He's just saying you're not going to keep company because that's what Christians would do. They would keep company as part of their worship. Their worship was done in company. It was done together. It was done inside a home. It was done eating a meal inside the home. This man, yeah, he cannot happen in that situation again. How, how are you calling yourself a Christian when you're allowing something so vile, so immoral? So notice that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul suggests a limitation to the association. A limitation to to what extent you will associate with this person. He's not saying, and you could read it all you want, 1 Corinthians 5.11, shunning. The word shunning is not in there. The word shunning is not part of the Bible. You won't find it. So it's not the same thing as the suggestion he gives. Limit your association versus shunning. Two different concepts. We limit our associations with certain neighbors that eh, sometimes <laughs> they're difficult to please. It doesn't mean we shun them. Notice what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses consider shunning. In their book, How to Remain in God's Love, this was published in 2017, page 241. It says, someone who has seriously sinned does not repent and refuses to follow Jehovah's standards. He can no longer be a member of the congregation. None of this is in the Bible. None of this is in the Bible. They're saying concepts that are completely alien to the Bible. For example, someone who has seriously sinned. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's different levels of sins for them. There's not just sin. There's, there's sin, and then there's a serious sin. You know, sin is okay. <laughs> sin is all right. Seriously, sin? Oh, no, 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 no. Another concept that's very alien to the Bible, it's not in the Bible. There is no serious sins and sins. That's not in the Bible. A sin is a sin. What the Bible describes as a sin, is, which is basically going against the, the, the biblical moral code. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sin. A person who does not repent, they say, 
there has to be a series of events. One, you must have seriously sinned. Number two, you must have not repented. That person can no longer be a member of the Jehovah's Witness standardization. So one, you had to have seriously sinned. Two, you must have not repented. And three, you must have had refused to follow Jehovah's standards. This is their definition in how to remain in God's love. These three things, you do these three things and you get kicked out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. All three things are not biblical. All three things are not biblical. They're three doctrinal concepts that are not biblical. For example, seriously sinned. You know, there's only sin. Number two, not repent. Well, they decide if you repent or not. And in their book, Shepherd the Flock of God, it said one of the ways that they'll know if you repent is basically they force you to cry. When they're questioning you in their secret back room, if you do not cry and they consider it, well, he didn't cry, well, that means he didn't repent. They could use that against you. Number three is you, can, you, don't, you refuse to follow Jehovah's standards, which basically means you refuse to follow the laws and the doctrines that come out of the Watchtower, that come out of New York. If you refuse to follow those three, if you refuse to follow New York, you refuse to, follow, you refuse to cry, and you, refuse, and you do a serious sin. You steal, eh, it's okay. <laughs> eh, it's, it's all right. But you do something really vile, adultery, then you get kicked out. Then, Well, maybe. <laughs> It'll depend on if you cry. So all these pharisaical ways of interpreting the Bible, all these Pharisee laws that they create, not biblical. It's not biblical. Let's take a look at another point. The Jehovah's Witnesses, well, they're not going to give you 1 Corinthians 5.11, but if you somehow get them to agree which won't happen. But if you somehow, this is hypothetical, somehow they say, okay, you're right. First Corinthians 5.11 is about that one instance. And in that one instance, we gathered a couple principles. It doesn't say shunning. We give you that. But the second, the second letter of John 9.11 says, everyone who pushes ahead and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Yada, 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 yada. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your homes or say a greeting to him. Okay. All right. Let's analyze that then. If we're going to say that in the second of John 9 11, it says, everyone who does not remain in the teaching of Christ, do not receive him in your homes, right? They'll use that. This is the problem. This is the problem. They're not saying anyone who doesn't remain in the teachings of the Watchtower, the Watchtower and Bible Tract Society in Pennsylvania. That's not what they're saying. Anyone who doesn't remain in the teachings of the governing body of the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's not what it's saying. Anyone who doesn't remain in the teachings of the apostles of the Mormon Church, of the Latter-day Saints, don't receive them in your home. That's not what it's saying. It's saying those who don't remain in the teaching of Christ. That's the context of 2 John 9.11. It's in the very same verse. Those who don't remain in the teaching of Christ, those are the people that you don't receive in your homes. Why? Not in essence that you can't invite. You can't invite random people. The context is 
a person worship being done in the homes and a person that does not remain in the teaching of Christ. Do you invite him into your home to worship? Of course not. He's not even going to go there. He has, he has no care or need to go in your home and worship God because he doesn't believe in God. So why would you even invite him in that instance, in that context, to your home? This is what they were doing inside the homes. And we have to understand this in order to understand what verses like 2 John 9-11 mean. So if, we're, if we are going to give them that one, let's, let's say, as another hypothetical, let's say that we give them Second and John nine eleven. Those who do not remain in the teaching of Christ don't receive them in your home. Verse ten. If that's what we're hanging on, okay, then what do you say about the Jehovah's Witness doctrine about the mediator? This is a doctrine that takes First Timothy two five six out of context, where it says Jesus died for all mankind. They grab. First letter to Timothy 2, 5, 6, and they say, you know what? It doesn't mean that he died for everybody. <laughs> it, it, means, it means he died for just a select few. You know, like it says in their mediator doctrine teaching, Watchtower of 89, 815, page 30 to 31. It says that the new covenant, you know, Jesus dying for everyone, is not a loose arrangement open to all mankind. It is a legal provision involving God and an anointed Christian. See, Jesus didn't die for you. He died for just uh, special Christians. I mean, I mean, you're you're good too. You're you're good too. But but he didn't die for you. <laughs> you know. So it takes 1 Timothy 2, 5, 6 completely out of context. It rearranges everything, and it just they use it to basically say that they're special Christians. And there's, you know, they're, I mean, good Christians, <laughs> good ones. You'll get a reward, too. You'll get a reward, too. You'll, you'll you know, you'll live forever here on earth, but you're not going to heaven. <laughs> That's just what it is. If we go back to second letter of John 9:11 where it says do not do not bring into your home someone that doesn't remain in the teaching of Christ wouldn't wouldn't this apply to the Jehovah's witnesses isn't this the concept isn't this the suggestion don't bring anyone into your home that brings teachings that aren't from the Bible well isn't the mediator teaching that the the Jehovah's witnesses teach there's special members and then there's not so special members. You know, this, this mediator teaching, isn't this a teaching that's not, didn't remain in the teachings of Christ? So, <laughs> so I guess I shouldn't be opening the door to Jehovah's Witnesses because they're teaching doctrines that are not in the Bible. They're taking the Bible out of context and teaching doctrines that aren't in the Bible. This is what uh, John was implying. Those who don't remain in the teaching of Christ, don't invite them in your home. This is what it means. So Jehovah's Witnesses, when someone walks away from their watchtower teachings, this is what they do. They cancel them. They don't invite them in their homes. They don't invite them to live together. They don't call them. They delete them. They destroy your entire social network because even before you had left, when you were plugged into the matrix, when you were in the watchtower you were advised to only have, only have a social network that included Jehovah's Witnesses. No one else. 
your buddies at work, they're not allowed in the social network. You know, your neighbor, uh, you could do favors for him, but he's not allowed in your social network. No one is allowed. Even if your family members are not Jehovah's Witnesses, they shouldn't be in your social network. This is what they teach because they, according to them, those people don't obey God. Only you obey God as Jehovah's Witness. Let's take a look at another point. This teaching of shunning is completely unbiblical. Because if this was an actual teaching, the shunning doctrine, if this was actually a teaching, there would be people inside of the Bible that today are regarded in high esteem. (laughs) They're very well-liked characters. That the Jehovah's Witness would have expelled. They would have kicked them out of their congregations. And one such, such instance is the prodigal son. The prodigal son, Luke 15, 17, says that the prodigal son, once he you know, ran around rampant, doing crazy things, after he wanted his inheritance and he squandered it completely, he wants back home. He, he wants to, you know, he, he's a millennial, this guy. He's a big millennial. He wants to come back home. And, you know, I'm a millennial, so I could talk, I could say that. And he wants to come back home. And he squandered all in his inheritance. And Luke 15, 17, 18 says that he decides one day, you know what? Mm, I'm good. You know, I've lived. I've lived. I want to go back home. You know, now that I don't have no money, I want to go back home. And he says that. He says, I will get up and travel to my father. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. This guy, let me tell you, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, did things so vile that he should have been kicked out of the congregation. He should have been shunned, right? He shouldn't be talking to his family members that are still plugged into the matrix. He shouldn't be talking to family members that are still Jehovah's Witnesses. Assuming that the father is a Jehovah's Witness, because Jehovah's Witnesses say that everyone that follows, you know, the, the word of God is eh, technically a Jehovah's Witness, you know, in the past. In the past. Not, not today. <laughs> today, that's, that's, that's done. Now, you got to follow their eight obese members in New York. But in the case of the father, the father was a man of God. At least he's painted that way. There is no notion that says otherwise. So it's a clear assumption if Jesus is using him as an example we could say he's a man of God. He's a man of faith. So the man of faith, what happens? What does the father do? Does he follow their policy of 1 Corinthians 5, where you are supposed to shun the person, where you can't keep company with someone like that? This guy did these things. He was greedy. He was immoral. (laughs) He was a extortioner i mean he didn't he take didn't he handle his dad and the way he did and gather his inheritance didn't he do that didn't he wasn't he doing a form of extort there was plenty of check marks against this guy you know not a good guy jesus doesn't paint this character in the greatest way but then he rewrites the story and he does paint him in a good way where he you know he says sorry and he comes back Here's the thing. Verse 20, Luke 15, 20 says that he, he, the extortioner, the bad guy, 
was the one that took the initiative and came to the father. Verse number 20 says that the father caught sight of him and was moved with pity and he ran and embraced him. He ran and embraced him. The father didn't go to the elders and say, hey, did my son get reestablished? Is he now back in the congregation? You know, he didn't look around and ask someone, uh, a mature Christian, as Jehovah's Witnesses say, a mature Christian. And, hey, is, is, is he back in the congregation? Is he, is he commenting again? Is he back in? He didn't say that. You know, no, <laughs> that's the, he just, he's moved by his heart. He's moved by pity. He's moved by grace. He's moved by love. And this is what dictates this situation, not policy. So in the Jehovah's Witness world, this is what would have happened. The prodigal son would have been expelled, would have been kicked out of the congregation, no longer considered a Christian. And the father would have potentially been expelled as well. The father would have been kicked out. <laughs> they had kicked him out. And they had kicked him out. <laughs> Because of what he did, he went and embraced his son. Verse 20, Luke 15, 20. He wasn't supposed to embrace his son. Jehovah's Witnesses frown at the embracing. You know, they, 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 they hate it. They can't stand it. No embracing allowed. The father, big fan of embracing. Big fan of the embracing. A big embracer, this guy. And he takes this upon himself to do it. Big no-no with Jehovah's Witnesses. You can't embrace a person that get kicked, gets kicked out. The prodigal son should have been kicked out, according to them. There should have been no forgiveness for this man. And when, when he came back, the first thing that the prodigal son should have done, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, is not go to his father. He should have gone to the leaders, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the congregation, which are the elders. He didn't do that. You know, he bypassed all kinds of policy, this guy. All kinds of rules were broken in this instance with the prodigal son. The prodigal son would have clearly been expelled and disciplined and reprimanded for trying to embrace his father. These are the policies, the Pharisee-like policies that the Jehovah's Witnesses implement. Let's take a look at one last point, and, and we could go on and on. I've got a dozen more points about this same issue. We, let's, let's look at the last one, though. If the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to hold to the 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 11, where it says stop keeping company with someone that's, you know, amongst, amongst these things, six things, they don't take into account that Paul stopped at number six. He gave sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner. That's it. Six of them. These are the people that you sh shouldn't be in the worship circle. The funny thing is in the book, Shepherd the Flock of God, which is a secret book that the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses have, they have over what's arguably more than 50, 50 offenses in which you can be kicked out. And I say 50 because in actuality, you could, you could pinpoint 40 of, them, 40 of them, but there's subgroups under some of these where... It lets, you, it lets you be more flexible and extend the rod of discipline. So it's, it's gen and, and you can even argue 60 or 70, 80 of these 
under the subgroups. I mean, there are so many. This is what the Pharisees used to do. They used to add the law on top of the law on top of the law, their own laws, their cousins' laws. I mean, it was nonstop laws. And this is what the Jehovah's Witnesses have done with this secret book, Shepherd the Flock of God. This is the book that the elders carry. No one is allowed to see it. Only the leaders of the church are allowed to see it. There's even instructions on how to keep it secret from everyone else so that it could never fall into the hands of someone else. This kind of uh, hiding of information from people it, it is criminal because these are the, the laws that are governing these people. They're not even aware that these are laws against them that essentially can criminalize them. Anyways, I went on a tangent there. That was actually another point. Last point. Okay, now last point. What Jehovah's Witnesses don't take into account that the first of Corinthians is not the only letter that, that Paul wrote. The first of Corinthians in the Bible is actually the second letter that we know of that Paul wrote. Because in the first of Corinthians, he clearly says there was a letter before that. We don't have that letter. You know, history hasn't coughed that up yet. So we don't know where it is. I mean, it might still be around. We uh, we have no idea. It might be in some dungeon in some old Jewish uh, temple uh, hidden in some, uh, I, uh, no one knows, in some synagogue, some old tear-down synagogue. Maybe it's three levels under Rome. We, we don't know. But what we know is there was a first letter because the Bible clearly says it. So the first letter of Corinthians in the Bible is actually the second letter. And we also know that there's a third letter because in the second letter of the Corinthians, it says that there's a third letter because there's another letter in which he was, I guess he was very sad. And he says, he was, you know, I, I wrote to you in tears. This is what I was doing. I was very sad. He might've been depressed. Who knows? But there's, there's clearly four total letters that it talks about that we know of. So there could be more. We don't know, but for, for sure there's four, but we only have two of them. So the first of the Corinthians should actually be the second of Corinthians. And the second of Corinthians should actually be the fourth of Corinthians. But what we do know about the second of Corinthians is that the Jehovah's Witnesses completely do not even look at that when they establish their shunning policy. If you're going to talk about the man that created your doctrine, which is you're saying he created your doctrine, of course, why don't you take into account the rest of what he said? Because the Second Corinthians two five adds on to the suggestion already of someone that was removed from your uh, worship circle, not from your life, not to be shunned, but someone that was removed from your worship circle because of instances so grotesque as what the man that we described in First Corinthians was doing. If someone like that, again sleeping with his mother. You don't want a person like that around your children. You don't want a person like that around your family and your friends, especially now when you think or, or you feel that God is amongst you and you're gathered together like that. That's in, in a home, which is what they used to do. It says 2 Corinthians 2.5, the person has been kicked out already, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2.5. Now, if anyone has caused sadness, he has said, not me, but all of you, to an extent not to be too harsh in what I say, verse 6, this rebuke given by the majority, by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. If anyone has caused sadness, he says, the rebuke that you gave him, 
by the majority, not by your elders, which is what what religions do, you know, like Catholicism. It's it's by their leaders. It doesn't say by the leader. It says by the majority, by the congregation, by the people that were gathered in that home. That's the, that's what history shows us. That's what the Bible shows us. By the people that were gathered in that home, if they made that decision to remove the person because he was doing something so vile from their worship circle, it says that that's sufficient. That kind of discipline, if you want to call it, that is sufficient. That reprimand, that is sufficient for a man. That's what he says. Verse number 7, 2 Corinthians 2, 7. Now you should instead kindly forgive and comfort him so that he may not be overwhelmed by excessive sadness. Verse 8, confirm your love for him. Verse 10, if you forgive anyone for anything, I do also. Verse 11, so that we may not be overreached by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul is essentially saying, forgive a person. Okay, the guy... Made a terrible mistake. Ooh, yeah, he did something really bad. Yeah, no, you really screwed the pooch. You really did there. He says that he, you still have to forgive. Find a way to forgive. Under the instances that he described, the six instances that he described in the first Corinthians, in the second Corinthians, he says you need to forgive and you need to confirm your love for him. That means you're going to go to the person. Something that Jehovah's Witnesses do not allow. They don't allow you to go to the person once they kick them out of the congregation. You delete them. You cancel them. You don't answer their text. They have a video where a daughter calls the mom and the dad, and they look at the text come in, and they just say, nope, nope, we're doing what God wants, which is ignore you. And then scene two they turn to the girl and she's heartbroken. Oh, my parents didn't answer my call. I'm so sad. This is what they do. It's it's a torture. This is this is a form of torture, a form of persecution that they do against ex-members, anyone that has walked away from their church. And they do this to criminalize you and to give you an incentive to come back to them to plug yourself back into the matrix because of severe depression, because of severe anxiety. You know, they, they destroy your life completely just so you have the desire to come back to them because they're holding your loved ones hostage is what happens. So if we're going to go by the Bible, we take a look at 1 Corinthians 5.11, we need to understand that the context is complete under the 2 Corinthians 2.5. Where it says, if anyone that has caused sadness and you've, the majority has given the rebuke, you need to kindly forgive. You need to comfort him. You can't let him be overwhelmed by excessive sadness. These are all words inside of 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. And he said, number eight, confirm your love for him. You need to go to this person. This is what Paul is saying. You can't let him die in sadness. You can't let this person, you can't ignore this person. And this is what Jehovah's Witnesses do. They, they do this form of torture against their ex-members. They criminalize them. They destroy their lives. They completely ignore them. Completely against the suggestions that Paul's giving in 2 Corinthians 2. It's, it's contrary. It's completely the opposite. 
He is saying, go to the person, help the person. Exhort, I exhort you, he says, comfort him. Don't let him be overwhelmed by excessive sadness. Embrace him. Show him that you love him. And this is the Christian way. Now that we complete the context of what he actually meant in 1 Corinthians, we understand why the Jehovah's Witnesses do not cite 2 Corinthians. Because 2 Corinthians blows their argument completely out of the water. And it doesn't benefit them when they want to hold on to a, this rod of persecution, this rod of torture against ex-members. The way they destroy the lives of ex-members has led many members to fall into deep depression, deep anxiety, overwhelming stress, sadness. It has destroyed the lives of many people. And in some cases, people have even taken their lives. We shed light on this issue because of people like that. We shed light on this issue because of how vile and grotesque and evil this thing really is. Jehovah's Witnesses are not the only ones that practice it, but without a doubt, they really go in all in on this doctrine. And the way they do it, they have destroyed so many countless and countless of lives just to hold on to this doctrine. And this is one of the doctrines that they will never let up because the day they let up on this kind of doctrines, this organization might just go dead broke out of lawsuits that would come out of it. We would just hope that the near future brings an instance where doctrines like this no longer control the lives of people, no longer destroy the lives of people, because that is what it's doing. That is what it's doing. Shunning is not in the Bible. Yeah, it's, it's not something that's part of the Bible. Even the Jehovah's Witnesses used to advocate against it. Um, Awake 1947, January 8th, page 27. Under the title, Are You Also Excommunicated? They say that they, they find no support in these scriptures, scriptures that they cite in here in, in their article that support the shunning policy. It says, in fact, it is altogether foreign to Bible teachings. Hebrews 10, 26-31, they say. And then they say that all these things, actually, this excommunication thing actually originates from pagan influence so as long as this policy stands within the job's witnesses it's going to continue to affect and destroy the lives of people we can only hope that in the future this policy is done away with and it no longer harms the lives of people with that in mind thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one